Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 61. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. This show is brought to you by my sponsor, Audible.com. If you're like me, you like to read, but you're having trouble finding the time to squeeze in all those great books, well, Audible.com is a perfect solution. Audiobooks are great. I never thought I would like them, but I love them now. It's a great way to get caught up. I listen to and get caught up on the book as I'm driving to work, if I'm exercising, any free time, working out in the yard, I can get caught up in all my reading. You can go to uh, my website, doseofleadership.com slash audible, and you can uh, download a free audiobook. Any audiobook they have, over 100,000 titles to choose from, you can download it for free, listen to it. You can sign up for 30 days with no obligation. If you don't like it after 30 days, you can cancel your subscription. But again, it's no risk to you. Go check out doseofleadership.com slash audible and make your smartphone smarter. Well, I'm pleased to introduce my next guest. They're the owner and founders of Contented Cow Partners. They're considered, it's a Bill Catlett and Richard Haddon. They're considered the thought leaders and experts in the area of leadership and employee engagement. They speak to, they train, they coach managers and leadership practices for better business outcomes. Their whole premise is that having a focused, engaged, and capably led workforce is one of the best things any organization can do for its bottom line. They're an author of four great books, Contented Cows Still Give Better Milk, The Plain Truth About Employee Engagement and Your Bottom Line, Rebooting Leadership, Practical Lessons for Frontline Leaders and Their Bosses in the New World, Contented Cows Move Faster, How Good Leaders Get People to Put More Oomph into Their Work, and Finding Great People, an Interview Guide. Richard and Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you, Richard. It's good to be with you. Yeah, well, first things first, I love the title of your organization, and I love the logo. Let's get that out of the way. Tell me why the name Contented Cows. I love the story behind it. <laughs> this is Bill Catlett. Um, well, first off, truth be known, we stole it. Um, with permission. <laughs> yeah, with permission. Many years ago, I'd read a... Um, article in Fortune Magazine where they interviewed Tommy Lasorda, a longtime manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, and he talks about the fact that contented players give better performances. So I thought that's kind of neat. So um, I was writing a book at the time, and, and somehow that, that topic stuck in my mind, and uh, we kind of hung with it. And lo and behold, we ended up doing um, you know more research into animal science than we had ever you know, expected <laughs> to, but, but you know found out that I mean, there's some absolute truth there. Um, you know, I, I heard you doing an article, or uh, not article, but a podcast earlier with our friend uh, Phil Van Hooser. He talked about, you know, cattle. And, I mean, you, you can crowd dairy cattle into a, a pen and, and scream at them to uh, produce more milk, maybe show them a picture or two of what the meat processing plant looks like. And, and <laughs> yet they aren't going to produce a, a bit more milk for you. Yet if... Uh, you, you put them in an amply sized feedlot that's that's dry, uh, level. Give them a name, call them by their name. That's that's the absolute truth. Uh, they will produce you know up to an additional sixty gallons of milk annually. Wow! And at three seventy five a gallon, that works out to about fifty four billion dollars for the world's dairymen. 
Now, I mean, I'm, I'm not suggesting that people are animals or anything like that, but uh, it's a pretty good analogy, and I think people are the same way. Um, when, when treated the right way, uh, when we find ourselves in the company of, of good, capable, competent leaders, we produce more and better stuff. Yeah, I love, right. I, I love that analogy, and you know, it reminds me of, of uh, Eisenhower's whole thing, you know, if, Sometimes you, you always run into people thinking that leadership, you know, you beat someone over the head with a wiffle ball bat, you're going to get better results. And I love how Eisenhower said that's, you know, that's assault. That's not leadership, you know. And so I always think, right. think back to that. Well, everybody, listeners of this podcast and people know I'm always in the search for common sense, practical advice. And, man, you guys are, are chock full of it. I'm glad I came across it. I'm glad Philip uh, recommended me to you. I, I came to your site. I love the writings. I love the blog. And I, and I read your one book yesterday. And um, on my flight to Mexico, rebooting leadership, practical lessons for frontline leaders and bosses in the new world. We were talking yesterday in the pre-interview that you thought it would be good with me for, to follow up on it. And what a great, you know, it's a quick, easy read. And um, like I said yesterday, a lot, a lot of times, I think we overthink leadership, and leadership certainly is so easy to understand, but it is difficult and hard to implement. And I think it's uh, because of some of the courage in, involved in that. But. Uh, Talk to me about the genesis of of, of rebooting leadership, and, and and why you wrote it. This is yeah, this is Richard. Uh, that book really came about uh, kind of after a, a decade of some pretty tumultuous times in the United States and other parts of the world as, as well. When Bill and and I and our co-author on on that book, Meredith Kimball, you know, really kind of looked around and said, you know, so much has changed in the world in the last ten years. In fact, if in in two thousand, if you had had lain down to take a, a ten year nap when you woke up ten years later, <coughs> excuse me, you wouldn't be able to recognize the the new world that, that you were in. I mean, nine eleven, two wars, a couple of recessions, all kind of financial shenanigans going on by people who knew better, but but chose worse. Uh, and you know, we said we, there probably needs to be something uh, to, to help people kind of navigate through all of these things since so much has changed. And, and the conclusion that we came to really was that while while the fundamentals of leadership have not changed, and it's really important for people to keep that in mind, while the fundamentals of nothing has changed about the fundamentals of leadership, the context in which we practice those fundamentals has changed vastly. And if we don't recognize that and try to try to manage and lead people the same way we did 10 years ago, it, you know, we, we can see that that's not going to work. What do you think is the biggest uh, contour, the biggest change in the last 10 years? You know, I, I love it right in the part in the book. You said, you know, if it was 1999 or 2000, it's, and it's right, and I, and I didn't really think about it, how different it was in 2000, how much has changed, and now it's been yeah. 13, 14 years. What do you think has been the starkest contrast? Let's let's put ourselves in the, in the shoes of a first or second level manager just for a moment. Um, in my estimation, th- those are the folks who have the toughest jobs today in any organization. Yeah. And, and if you think about it, we've we've leaned down our organizations, we've we've flattened them. Um, managers today, you know, at, at at an entry level, you know, are now dealing with with folks, you know, in the C level, with some pretty strategic issues, which they're they're not especially well prepared for, and. They've got pressure from above and below. They don't get to call a timeout in the action. And, and by and large, at least for the last five or six years, they haven't received the kind of training and preparation that, that they need before taking on a management job. You know, it's, it's been said that life imitates art. I'll, I'll put a little different twist on that. I mean, business imitates sport. And new leaders have as, as short and steep and 
uh, in a lot of cases, dangerous a learning curve as an NFL rookie player. I mean, ask Tim Tebow what that's all about. Yeah, right. Uh, and, and frankly, we, we enjoy about as much job security as an NBA coach. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, their jobs have gotten a lot tougher, both from the standpoint that they've, they've got more responsibility, they've got more coming at them, and they've had less training and preparation to deal with it. But, uh, and it's, they had a third thing, you know, 20, 30 years ago, uh, it was a little bit easier to communicate and, and deal with your staff. I mean, they all had their feet screwed to the floor in one building. Today, they, they can be all over the world. And it's a lot more difficult to, to communicate, to make meetings, to get to know people, and build trust. Yeah, and I, and I think that that really feeds in and connects to, to two two big things in the workforce have changed and, and related to what Bill just said, the fact that people's relationships with the organization has changed mm-hmm. drastically. You know, it used to be, I mean, we know that in the early 1950s, the average job tenure in the U.S. was close to 20 years, and now it's closer to four years. And even people who are, you know, W-2 employees in the United States, uh, th- those people are fewer uh, and, and farther between. Uh, people's relationships with their employer is just not as, uh, you know, a lot of people are freelancing, a lot of people are free agents, and a lot of people are contracting, and then they'll go in and they'll, they'll work in a place for a little while, and, and there's nothing wrong with There's no stigma anymore attached to leaving after after a few years, and so that's one thing that has changed. And I think another one, you know, Bill and I talk about all the time is is just the level of trust. And again, especially in the last five or six years, institutional trust certainly has has really taken a a, a lot of hits. And so, people's relationships with the organization fundamentally changed. Yeah, I love how you write in that in the book that it it really is less about. Um, the term of a job it 's almost like it 's a gig and and yeah. i and I look yeah. at the people that I talk to and, and relate with, and even sometimes myself you, you think yeah well, this is just a gig that i 'm doing until I do x, y or z and um, yep. you know compare that with my father who worked who graduated from college in one thousand nine hundred fifty eight and he worked in two organizations until until two thousand and seven yeah. you know exactly. Well, you hit on something that I think is real important. I took a note on it too when I was reading about the relationships and technology, and it is amazing. You know, the stark contrast, even in the last eight years, of how much technology has changed and how we seem so connected more than ever. Almost to the, you know, it's almost, um, you know, manic how how connected we are. But at the same time, we don't have relationships with people, and I think that is to to really get to know somebody these days. Yeah. And in leadership is so challenging. Talk about that and how we can. You know how we can overcome that, maybe. Yeah, we, we, we've come to really rely on our, our devices. We, we all have, um, and I just shut my my cell phone off. It, it's probably the first time I've actually turned the thing off in three or four months. Um, but yet, you know, they they aren't the be all and the end all when it comes to to really communicating with with people and making meaning. Um, you know, we just saw a sure our you know, uh, with with Yahoo when Marissa Meyer, you know, told their folks they need to come back into the office and right. spend more time there. Um, and you know what? Um, she's right. Sometimes you you got to get you know belly to belly. You got to get in the same airspace in order to to really make meaning. So I think that we have to you know to know when to use the, the technology and when not. You know, I think we also have to realize that we've got. Uh, four different generations in the workspace at one time. Right. And, you know, we, we all, you know, 
communicate in, in, in different ways, and we've got to be sensitive to that. I mean, communicating is, is a lot more than just emoting. Um, you know, we, we've got to to get to know people on our team a whole lot better, and, and that's that too is complicated by distance. Um, I, I did a keynote speech several months ago for uh, an, an industry group that, uh, by and large, relies on people who are home-based professional workers and was interviewing one of the CEOs before my, my presentation and asked him how many employees he had. And he said he had about 260 people and, and it was scattered all over the country and indeed the world. I said, well, how many of them, you know, do you know? He said, only about six of them. Mm. And uh, I said, my goodness, how do you, you know, how do you make meaning with them? And it was, it was like I was speaking Greek or something, but... Um, I think we need to, to step back from the from the devices at, at times and, and really question: Am I making meaning? And if not, how can how can we do that? You know, how can I make sure that that I'm listening to them? Yeah, and, and that really comes by asking the right questions. And you're right. We while we are electronically overconnected, I think we're emotionally underconnected. Yeah, agreed. To a lot of people in terms of, of the relationships. One of the things you you may have seen in, in reading Rebooting Leadership on page 53, we've got a list of, of 11 questions that we think every manager ought to know the answers to about every one of their employees, and and most of them without asking. You know, and it, and it's simple things like like your name. Uh, you know, and you think we're being facetious, but uh, yeah. just like Bill talked about, these 200 people, this this guy didn't even know these people's names. Um, but you know, things like, what are you really good out good at outside of work? That can help you. What are you lousy at? Even something as as what seems as pedantic as how do you get to work each day? Yeah. You know, I mean, sometimes that colors the person's whole way that they they do the work. So you know, it's just suggestions like that 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 we say, you know, try to be sensitive and tune in to the answers to these questions. Sometimes you may have to actually come out and ask the question, but know the answers to these questions for just about everybody that you work with. Well, I think, and I'm looking at the list too, and I think it's a great list, and I, I think two of them that I think are really great and the most powerful life experiences, good and bad. I, yeah, you know, and I yeah. was sitting there and talking about you learn so much, and uh, we had these. And I'm guilty of we all are these these assumptions about people and their experiences yeah. when we see them, and, and it's so true how much you don't really know about people that you work even side by side with. Um, I think it's a great list. I think that um, you know the other part that I like about it too is 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 oh, I lost my thought there. Oh, I, I was I was thinking two thoughts there. I'll get back to it. But one of the things there is um, I love about two is the chapter on. Um, You've got to get paid to think. And as a pilot, yeah. you know, um, we always talk about situational awareness. And I love how you open up that chapter talking about situational awareness and surges and everything else. And that's one thing that you can definitely see when somebody's not on their game when they're flying is like they've lost their they've, – they've become so focused on one thing that's happening and they're not soaking the whole environment in. Talk to me a little bit about situational awareness. I love the 60% solution that you talk about with Colin Powell and the whole article – the whole idea of getting paid to think. Yeah, we're we're you know we're so data driven today, uh, and we've got so much data available to us. And in a lot of cases, when it's decision making time, we we may have too much data available, and we and we tend a lot of us tend to choke on it, uh, particularly if we're a little bit fearful about making a decision. And there is a lot of fear in, in most organizations today. So you might back off, you know, a notch and and slow down the decision making process, consciously or otherwise. 
uh, and say, Geez, I want to wait for some more data, some better data, and wind up either never pulling the trigger or doing it too late. Um, and you, I, I was guilty of that in, in my career yeah. um, early on because I was, frankly, I was, I was risk-averse, and, and I'd always kind of been taught that, you know, the one thing you don't want to do is, is you know, make a mistake, you know, in the, in the workplace or around your boss. So I was more concerned with that than I was, you know, taking, taking good swings. And um, that probably slowed me down a bit. I think that's that's only accelerated today with the, the, the presence of, you know, much better technology and data. That it, it's wonderful to have it. But we've got to realize, you know, who the who the master of the situation is, and and you know, as you said, we do get paid to think as leaders and to decide, and oh, by the way, to make mistakes. Yeah. And you know, it's just you know, you, yeah, you're you're a pilot, and and you know, you guys know that stuff is going to happen. Something's going to break, or you're going to have bad weather. Uh, I mean, that that can happen. So you 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 plan and you train for that stuff. Yeah, I think one of the mis- leaders should oh, go ahead. I was going to say that there's a there's a myth and a, a perception about flying that um, you can't make mistakes. And you're right, you hit it on the head, and and I apply it to life and business as well. Is that look, there's never a perfect flight. You're always going to be made mistakes. You just can't make fatal mistakes. You know, you can't crash into the mountain. You can't run out of gas. You know, those are the big ones. But you, you, every flight is a series of small mistakes. And, and, and if you walk away from it, it was a good flight. That's right. If it, any landings that you walk away is a good landing, right? Another thing I like about in that chapter two is the whole idea of um, what you call the mindless application of, of rules in the paid to think. And that's <laughs> one thing that I'm very passionate about is the whole difference between rules and common sense. And I think you see that a lot yeah. in, in where people get kind of wrapped up in the by-the-book manager. We've all worked for – we may even been guilty of being that by-the-book manager because you say, oh, if we just do this. And sometimes that blinds you to some of the common sense. Talk about what you've seen out there in the real world. Well, what, what we have observed, and, and you know, we give this uh, usually when we're speaking, if we're doing a keynote presentation, we try to make it very, very practical and really just give people to do here, do this, you know. Uh, and one of the do this is that that we give is to tell people, you know, go back today, today, and eliminate or drastically modify one utterly stupid rule, policy, practice, procedure that you have in place that's under your control that stands in the way of your people focusing on the mission. You know, and, and there's lots of things like that. There, there are rules, you know, a lot of them have to do with, with accounting and travel and, and, you know, travel expenses or, or just all kinds of compliance things that have come into place over time. And they really get in the way of you doing what, you know, you ask people to serve your customers, but you tell them, you know, the, to do it under these rules, and, and you can't really do the two things uh, together. And so we say, go back, change one of those utterly stupid rules, and you'll be amazed at how much more productive your people can be and how they'll thank you and how they'll respect you for having the wisdom to change that rule. And a lot of times people say, well, I can't think of anything. And I say, well, <laughs> believe me, you've got some. Just go back and ask your people. They'll be able to, they'll be your greatest source of information. And they'll tell you about the things that that really drag them down, that are like that grain of sand in your shoe yeah. that, that keep them from doing what you're wanting them to do. So it's real common sense stuff. You know, you don't have to put a, a whole lot of analysis into it. Just say, you know, what's one thing that, that we have that people... We tell people to do, but it really gets in the way of 
executing our mission. Yeah, we've become so bureaucratic, and especially the bigger the organization, yeah. the more bureaucratic you become. And if you can cut through that, and just the simple thing, and it really does seem to you're right it's kind of the hr the admin the the kind of things that all yeah. seem they're Compli- all good. yeah the compliance stuff just makes you crazy yeah and all done with good intentions but you need to take a step back and sure. look and say wow you know we're really just really take us where we want to go yeah you know i love what you wrote in there too that great leadership is not about getting it's about um giving and i can't remember what chapter that yeah. was in but i wrote that down and it's so true that if you want to really dive in and in, in into the leadership pool you really need to reevaluate as you write in there. If you're doing this because it's something for you, then you need to really recheck yourself. It's all about giving value to somebody else so that they will invest in you, right? Yeah. Leadership is, is, you know, in at least one respect, like like giving a good speech. It's not about you. Correct. It's about them. It's about the mission. Um, and so very often. We see, a, you know, a leader, and oftentimes it's a senior leader who's who's struggling. Um, it's because they've lost sight of that tenant. What you know, another thing too that I my favorite one, my other favorite chapter is riding the waves, and I think that um, in times of crisis, in times of of failing, and you you hit it on there a little while ago, Bill, about you know we we have to be prepared to fail, and what I call, and I think you write it in there too about failing forward. How do we deal with? Um, how do we remain calm in, in in the turbulent times? What 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 advice can you give us? Well, one one that I'll come back to the pile analogy that that works for me is um, preparation and, and competence induces calm. You know, in, in a tough environment. You know, if if a pilot has has never, you know, practiced landing in a crosswind before. <laughs> the first time you go and do it, if you're all by yourself, I bet it's not a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, you know, same thing is, is is true here as a you know as a leader. Let's let's practice different scenarios. You know, with our you know with with our peers, let's do it in a in a training situation. Um, you know, let's let's think about situations and and kind of walk through them before we get ourselves immersed in them. Just for openers. Um, two, I think that you've you know, you have got to, to maintain a, a ultra clear uh, sense of who you are, what you're about, and what's important to you. And, and you hang on to that when you're when you're going through you know a tough time. Yes. And more often than not, it, it will help get you through to the to the other end. Um, I mean, as, as we, we talked about Charlie Plum, a, a pretty famous naval Vietnam era aviator in the, in the book. And, you know, one of the things that, that he said is that, uh, in, in so many words, is that, you know, look, you're, you're going to experience pain, but yep. suffering is up to you. Yep. I interviewed Charlie Plum, by the way. I don't know if you've heard that interview or not, but uh, I talked, talked to them a few weeks oh, ago. Oh, did you? Yeah. Great. Oh, great. Yeah. No, that was great. Yeah, he was, it was an awesome story. And you're right. And I think that in the and learning from him and talking about that, I think, and what I learned from aviation too, like you talked about, you, you can learn to compartmentalize when something happens. And and the the best advice I took from flying aircraft and dealing with emergencies in everyday life is like, don't react. You know, you got that that you know ingrained in you that fight or flight response. But as you write in your your book, take a chance to breathe, relax, do something, and what what I call is wind your watch before you flip any switch or react anything you know 
wind your watch or scratch your head or take a breath or do something, just compartmentalize because you have to learn how to do that to be a great leader because that's where leaders are made or broken in a crisis. That's where it really comes out. And, and to your point, if you have those, and like Charlie was saying, you've got those core principles and what you truly believe, you can always rest on that. Mm-hmm. That's going to determine the outcome in that crisis. That, that brings you a lot of, lot of comfort, a lot of stability. Um, and, and I think if, you know, if, if you've done the right things vis-a-vis your, your lifelines, I mean, you've, you know, you've invested in other people um, for all the right reasons. And you know you've you've, you've built your network. You can use the rely on those lifelines. You know when you're going through a tough time. Yeah. You guys are all about employee engagement. You know, and I sit there and I've worked for three major companies since I got out of the Marine Corps. Well, four American Airlines for a short time, um, but employee engagement is always at the top. And you know we. we spend all this money, invest all this time in these big complex surveys, and they always come back and say the same thing. It's like, how do we get them engaged? What are your, some of your secrets to getting more engagement? <laughs> well, first off, don't, right. don't, uh, don't stop the surveys, okay? Yeah, right. sure. Um, <laughs> unless, unless, uh, unless you're not going to pay attention to them. Yeah, which unfortunately is what a lot of organizations do. I mean, they go through this process every year or two, and we do an employee opinion survey, and we get the results back, and, and we don't like them. So or we, yeah, we don't, we don't do anything like about it. it, right? Let's pretend that it didn't happen. And uh, unfortunately, the very act of doing that one time just just you know means that you're never ever going to get the benefit of people's real thoughts, you know, again. Right. Um, but my goodness, engagement. Look, it's not a program. You've got to find a way to, to make it, you know, a way of life and embed it deeply in the organization by, frankly, not not big things, but lots of little things. Um, I love that. You, 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 you do it from the start by uh, actively recruiting and hiring only those people who, by, by virtue of taste, preference, values, and temperament, happen to fit your particular organization because of, you know... I don't care if someone's got all the you know all the all their tickets punched and all the brain power in the world. If if they don't fit your business or your team, it's not going to work. Yeah. So I mean, start. You know, my, my wife is a it, it likes to bake, and you know, one of her favorite uh, sayings is a great cake start with great ingredients. The same thing is true here. Yep. You know, start with people who are capable of engaging and being happy, productive and successful at your place. And oh, by the way, to, to take that a step further, you know, you, you, you've worked hard, you've recruited all the time and actively and hired slowly and sensibly, but when you realize you made a mistake, do something about it. Right. You know, don't defer it, don't wait, act. Do it humanely, but do it. And Richard, you, you know, you, you use the term employee engagement. A lot of people think employee engagement and employee satisfaction are, are synonymous, and, and they're really not. There, there are some crossovers, there's some, some similarities and so forth. But, you know, we used to talk more about employee satisfaction, and, and right now employee satisfaction is kind of defined by things like job security and, and, and compensation and, uh, and benefits, uh, things like that. But when we talk about engagement, it's more things like, do I have the opportunity to do meaningful work? Do I know that my work is meaningful? Do I have the opportunity every day, to, or pretty much every day, to see that what I'm doing is doing some good? And it's about it's about caring leadership. You know, I can get engaged with a leader that I'm convinced cares about 
my best interest? Do I have some autonomy? You know, have you have you provided me with the means to do the work and then get out of my way and let me do it? And, and so then people often ask me, well, what's the difference between employee satisfaction and employee engagement? I, obviously, aside from the components that make up those two things, I think we have to look at how does it, you know, who does it benefit? And employee satisfaction benefits the employee for sure, and, and that's good, that's fine. But employee engagement goes beyond that, and it benefits the entire organization, and therefore the customers and the shareholders. You know, So when you have people who are engaged in their work, then that benefit accrues to a much larger group than if it's just employee satisfaction. Yeah, great points. I think from I'm curious to what you think about this from what I've seen and what I think happens. You know, you, people get thrust in a leadership role and, and they're there because they were successful doing. Oh yeah, these that's so classic. Yeah, right? and then they get in the leadership role and then okay, then the challenge comes up and then what I find is that the leader is still trying to be in his previous role instead of letting yeah. the new the the people in the other positions solve all the problems. I always argue that employee engagement would would increase and skyrocket if the leaders stepped back and stopped trying to solve the problems and realized that they don't have the answers, that the answers exist out there on the floor. Yeah. And and that's what exactly. I've seen in, in every corporation I've worked. That seems to be the problem. Yeah, and, and I think that behavior can be changed through awareness and, and leadership. But as Bill said earlier, in the last five or six years at least, anyway, there's been such a dearth of leadership development and leadership training. And so while for a long time we had a little bit of momentum building to help people understand the point that you just made, that it, leadership is about helping people find the solutions and the answers within themselves, uh, we, we've now we've, you know, we've abandoned this training thing because we can't afford it, and we think for some reason that we're going to dumb our way out of a bad economy. Um, and, and now we're allowing people to kind of fall back on, on their own skills and expertise, and, and we just know that that's not the way to do it. So we'd love to see a resurgence in, in the emphasis on leadership development, uh, letting people learn to be leaders. Yeah, I know the, some of the biggest failures I've had as a leader is, is um, in and I thought I was doing the right thing. It's like, well, you know, we had this new program and I worked at a hotel company and, and, and we said, well, hey, here, here's the solution to this. And it was nationwide. And I thought, oh, I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll make this really nice detailed checklist for everybody to use. And it'll make it so simple and so easy for them. And I implemented it nationwide and it fell, fell flat on its face. And then when I yeah. regrouped and turned it over to them and said, what do you think? Then it was successful because they, they saw it, you know, it's – but it's just classic, right? Because you think that you know, either it's not. And it's not so much that I thought I had all the answers. It was like I didn't want to burden them with a new solution. But the challenge, or the reality, is they want to be. You know, they will blow you away with the solutions. I think is is what I'm trying to say. If you let go, they will yeah. blow you away with the solutions. That's right. And what you've described here is is, is what we so often tell groups, and that is to define jobs in terms of outcomes, not activities. And, and when people are really clear about what the results are expected or what's the outcome, what's the goal, uh, the objective on this whole thing, they'll come up with the right activities. Yeah. And when we try to drive her from the activities, then the same thing happens that, that you just described. It happens to all of us. Yeah, I think what in the Marine Corps, going back to it, is what we call commander's intent. The whole idea is like you give the intent and then leave the how up to them. And, and it's, it's, easier, yeah. it's easier said than done because mm – -hmm. You know, I, some, I think sometimes we as leaders feel like we have to have all the answers, and that's that's the myth, is you don't have to have all the answers. 
No, in fact, this is. I think that um, uh, as Richard was saying, too often today we, uh, you know, on sometime on Friday we go to the, the, the worker bee who's been doing the best job or been around the longest and say congratulations. We're going to, you know, make you a supervisor or manager. You know, starting Monday and you've got all weekend to get ready. Right. Um, and you know, it, if we didn't do anything else, you know, over the weekend, what we got to do is divest them of the, the notion that. Um, no, you did not have, you know, all the brains and, and good ideas in the outfit. So uh, show up Monday, you know, listen a lot more than you otherwise might, and it'll probably be a you know, good thing for you. You guys, you said, Richard, I think it was you that just said that you, there's been a dearth of the last six to seven years. That That's interesting. I mean, I guess I kind of inherently see that. Um, mm-hmm. But why do you think that is? Is it because of budget constraints? Is it because of the economic yeah. collapse? Oh, I think ostensibly on the surface it's because of budget, but also I think there's been an awful lot of stress on organizational leaders to produce results in the short term, and so it's been pretty easy to say, well, uh, in my uh, in my uh, quest to produce results in the short term, I'm going to put a few things on the back burner, and you know, the closer they get to the back burner, they kind of fall off the whole back of the stove to, completely. So. Largely, it's budget, but also I think it's additional stress. And what can I do to remove that that short-term stress? And I'm just going to take fewer things off off my plate. And so, yeah, uh, the, the one of the biggest casualties in that has been training of any kind. Um, but especially in and, and I hate the term soft skills because they're they're hard. They're not soft, but mm-hmm. uh, in those things that are less. Uh, Less kind of tangible and quantifiable, like leadership, and, and really that, that's kind of the reason that that Bill and I wrote the Contented Cows books because they, they really do help to quantify the fact you know that that organizations that have a strategy that focuses on leadership and focuses on their people practice, lo and behold, they simply make more money than their competitors that don't focus on that. And right. So I think when we see we see organizations that do recognize that, yeah. Training is an investment. We have to spend money to make it happen, although throwing money at the issue is not the solution. But, but yeah, it does cost money. And organizations that see that there is such a huge payoff, and I mean, the, the research that we've done is not a marginal payoff. It's a pretty substantial payoff. Then, uh, then they do value training. But by and large, you know, most organizations still kind of, kind of go ahead with, you know, I alluded to it a few minutes ago, let's you know, we've got an earnings problem, so let's see if we can dumb our way out of it with less capable, less prepared, less educated uh, employees. I love it. I love what you guys are doing. I love your website. I love the blog. I love. I love the. I'm going to read your other books. I read the the one yesterday, and, and I again, I think the more practical, common sense advice we can get out there, the better everybody's going to be. I love Bill. I love your uh, article that you wrote up there about your mom. The things your mom taught you about leadership. Just to, I wanted to give you that uh, shout out to your article oh, there. Thank you so much. You know, it's always so great. And it, it's always fun to me when I ask all these people and occasionally like, who your heroes are and everything else. And ostensibly, it always goes back to a parent or a teacher, or a coach, it's always one of those three. Yep. And a parent is almost yeah. in there 99% of the time. And, and you just, and I think that's important for us as parents to know too, that the impact that we have on our kids, I mean, that it's almost like a duh, yeah. But I mean, we forget that sometimes in our busy heyday and, and how important your parents yeah, are. Yeah, it's, it's an awesome responsibility. And, and you know, not unlike the, the people on our team at work. I mean, our kids are always watching. They may not always be listening, but, yeah, but they're, they're always watching. watching. That's right. 
That's right. And you, know, you were talking about a minute ago, and Bill said, you know, the whole thing about on, on Friday you're, you're called in and told you're going to be a manager suddenly on Monday. That, we've been talking about that for years, and about six weeks ago that very thing happened to my daughter, who's oh, 25. Really? And she texted me. It was on a Thursday, however. She said, Dad, they just told me I'm going to be somebody's boss. What do I do? And I said, I said, honey, you've been listening. I hope you've been listening for the last 25 years or so to what Dad and Bill have been saying. And she said, you're right, I have. I've had a lot uh-huh. of a lot of good lessons. I said, well, just you know, try to apply some of that and see if some of it works and let us know. Did you tell, did you tell her to go to Amazon <laughs> and buy, buy your books? Uh, oh, she's read them all. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Guys, I'm a huge fan of what you're doing. Anything I can do to support what you're doing, you can always count on me as being a, re- a resource for you. I, I love what you're doing. Where can, where can they find you? Well, contentedcows.com, and we have to emphasize the S on the end of it because there is a website out there called contentedcow.com, but it's for a pub. So, uh, yeah, contentedcows.com. And, you know, our books are available on uh, on Amazon uh, and Barnes and & Noble and pretty much anywhere online where, where you can get books. But the other stuff that we do is, is pretty well described on our website, and our blog is there, too. And we love interaction with readers. So if people see something, they don't like it or they do like it or whatever, we love to hear comments from people. Or interact with us on Twitter at Right. All right, guys. I'll have links to all that when I post the interview on uh, my website here. So uh, again, thanks for coming Thank on the you show. So much. It was a true pleasure. Thank talking you, Richard. To you. Okay, guys, and we'll we'll catch you down the road. Okay. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident consistent and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.